I have a friend back home, and her name is Julia. I met her several years ago when we were on a, a furlough, not this most recent one, one before that. And when we returned back to the Dominican Republic from our furlough, there was a new face among us, the young man, the preacher boy who held the church for us at that time. He had won her to the Lord, and she had become, began coming to church while we were in the States. So the first time I met her, uh, we were at a prayer meeting, and I was trying to share my songbook with her, but she didn't want it. And, I, you know, what's wrong with you, you know? But she didn't want it, and so I tried it again. You know, you don't know the song, take the book, you know, because she wasn't singing it right, but she didn't want it. And come to find out, she couldn't read, and so she didn't want the songbook, and I realized that later. She was about 18 at that time, and she, but she was very faithful to church, and she said that she had uh, made a profession of salvation. And one, um, I guess it was a Thursday night, she came to me, and she said, no, that was Sunday, Sunday morning. She said, Madam Pastor, Madam Pastor, that's me, Madam Pastor. Madam Pastor, Madam Pastor, you have to help me, you have to help me. She was in tears. Her eyes were like bloodshot. And I said, Julia, what is it? And she said, Madam Pastor, I can't sleep. She said, it's been three nights since I slept. She said, every time I try to sleep, devils are coming, Madam Pastor. They want to take me. Devils are coming, Madam Pastor. They want to take me. And for three nights straight, she had not slept. So I said, well, Julia, let's talk. And I have to give you a plan because you can, Jesus can, get you, can give you the victory. So after the service that morning, I called her to the side, and she can't read. But I said, Julia, you have to have the truth because only the truth can make you free. And I said, you, I don't have time to teach you a whole, um, you know, a lot of scriptures. I said, but memorize, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's nail say, Bejim when pop manke, ayen. And she said, say it again, Madam Pastor. And I said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh, um, the Lord is my, my shepherd, I shall not want. Just the one verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I said, repeat it. And she repeated it, she repeated it, she repeated it. And then I said, Julia, so tonight when you go to sleep and these devils come, you have to wrap all your faith around the Lord is your shepherd and the Lord is your shepherd. So she said it and she said it and she repeated it and she repeated it and she repeated it. And I said, you say your testimony out loud. Are you saved? And I said, tell me about when you got saved. How did you get saved? What saved you? It was the blood of Jesus Christ. And I told her a song. Now let's sing this song. But she had to have a truth about the good shepherd that she could wrap all her faith around because that is what was going to give her the victory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, I didn't see her again until that next Thursday. And I was praying for her during the week. And when she came to church the next Thursday night, I was forwarding, Madam Pastor, Madam Pastor, let me tell you. Girlfriend, tell me. It came. It came, Madam Pastor. It came. And, and I got up and I said, Let Tanel say, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And she said, Madam Pastor, I just held on to it. And I sang and I sang and I sang about the blood and I sang about the resurrection. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Madam Pastor, I've slept every night since Thursday. And I said, praise God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And Julia needed something. She needed a truth about our good shepherd that she could wrap all her faith around. But it was the truth about who our God is that she believed that gave her the victory. And a lot of times, ladies, we believe a lie about our good shepherd. And because we believe a lie, we don't follow. Because we believe a lie, we don't trust. Because we believe a lie, we resist. 
but we need the truth about our good shepherd to wrap all our faith around it because he's the one that's going to cause us to lay down and rise up and lead us to guide us. And so during this time, I will speak fast because there's a lot to say, but I want to speak the truth about our good shepherd. And then in the end, because of the truth about our good shepherd, what is our responsibility toward our good shepherd? So when we begin and we look at the beginning, God declared to Cyrus, who is a king, a heathen king, but God said, I have called him, and God was going to use Cyrus. And when introducing himself, so to speak, to Cyrus, he said, I am the Lord. He said, I'm from the beginning. I created everything, and there is no other. And when we look at the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see that God created the earth to be inhabited. He was getting the pasture ready because he was going to gather some sheep. And he created it, he told Cyrus, to be inhabited. And he created this place, and then in his really perfect goodness, he created the Garden of Eden. And there's another pasture, and he put his first creation, the man and the woman, in that garden. All their needs were taken care of. They had their food, they had their beauty, and they had their usefulness. And it was just a beautiful place. And as we look further on in the scripture, even though Adam and Eve, they sinned and they rebelled against God, he was faithful. And he provided skins, and he covered them. And then we move forward and we see that God, our good shepherd, he made a way for Noah, that righteous family, even in the midst of a people who were full of violence and every imagination, their heart was only evil continually. And they loved violence. But God saw Noah, who was just and righteous in his generation, and God made a way to protect. That's the job of the good shepherd. He made a way to protect his people. And Jesus Christ, the door, the only way to heaven, Noah and his family, they got on the ark through the only door, and then God in heaven closed it, and he protected his sheep, and he guided them. And then after the flood was over and all the waters had settled, then God provided all the food. The, the land was desolate. Everything had been destroyed in the flood, but God made provisions for his sheep. As we move through time, we see that God called Abraham, and God made Abraham promises, and God provided for Abraham. He promised that he would protect he promised that he would provide, and he made Abraham promises that Abraham believed. And even though Abraham made some decisions that weren't wise, he made some decisions that went kind of outside of what God's plan was because God had promised. God protected him, God provided for him, and God led him. And then Abraham had the promised son, Isaac. And then through Isaac, we see God's leading and God's shepherding. And Abraham believed God when God told him to offer Isaac on an altar. And Abraham just obeyed. And they went up to Mount Moriah. And God provided himself a lamb. But Abraham followed his shepherd. And God was taking care of Abraham. And then as we come to Jacob, we see that Jacob is following. And he comes to know his God, the God of his fathers. And Jacob follows, Abraham, uh, follows the Lord. And then jo Jacob has sons. And in God's foresight, many, many, many years before it was going to happen, he knew that a great famine would cover the whole world. And he sent Joseph, when Joseph was just a young boy, to make provisions for his people. So the famine finally comes, and here Joseph is in Egypt, but he has been lifted up by the hand of the Lord, and God was with him. But God used Joseph to continue providing and making a way for his people because our shepherd is faithful. And it wasn't dependent upon what the sheep were doing, how the sheep were like, you know, were they dirty and filled with thorns? Were they in rebellion? Were they filthy? Were they stuck in the barbed wire? God is faithful, and he made provisions for his people. And then after we see uh, Jacob is about to die, and he puts his feet up, and Joseph comes to him, 
And Jacob declares that the years of his life had been many, but God had been faithful to feed him every day of his pilgrimage because the good shepherd was providing and the good shepherd was faithful. And then as we move forward, we see that according to the time that God had appointed all of the people from Jacob's family, they're in Egypt now. And then in Egypt, God remembers his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God sends Moses and raises up Moses as a deliverer. And the Bible says that God led his people out of Egypt and through the desert as a flock of sheep. And God provided for them in the sheep. They were stiff neck, hard head, had ears that wouldn't hear, but that didn't control or keep God from doing his part as a shepherd. And God provided water, that rock, Jesus, that followed them through the wilderness. And then God put a, a cloud to cover them by day because he's protecting his sheep and he's leading them. And he put a pillar of fire by night to give them light and to guide them. And all throughout the wilderness, though they did not deserve it, though they complained and they murmured and they fell into idolatry and their hearts returned to Egypt, God was faithful. And God guided them and he led them into the promised land. And then as we move forward all through the Old Testament, we see God's hands on his people because they're his. And God told Samuel, tell them it's not because they were so good or because of any righteousness. He said, it has pleased me to make them my people. And then that good shepherd, it still pleases him to make us his people. And because he was pleased to make us his people, he's guiding, he's protecting, he's given provision and sustenance. And then the Bible says that God took David from following the sheep coat, and God made um, David the shepherd of Israel, and he guided them by the integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands. And as we read in the Psalms, we see David praying for God's provision, that the cattle would multiply, that his people would have food. And David was a faithful shepherd for our good shepherd, shepherding the people of Israel. And then as we move, we move on through the Bible, and we have those silent years, silent to us, but God was working, and he was still providing and his provisions and his faithfulness had nothing to do with the way the sheep were behaving. He made a promise, and he kept his promise because he's our father, and our father doesn't deal with us according to, he doesn't provide for us according to our merit, and God was faithful. And then according to the time of life, Jesus Christ came, and a Mary, uh, through Mary, he was born of a virgin, and God announced his birth through an angel. And then our shepherd come here in the flesh, we see him go throughout everywhere. The Bible says that God filled him with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good because God was with him. And when we look at Jesus' life, our good shepherd in the flesh, that we have eyes to see and we can understand him, we see him being driven into or led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Then we see him coming out of the wilderness, and he's gathering a people. He's gathering his disciples. He's gathering his flock that they could walk with him. And then we see Jesus Christ, as he gathers him, he goes to the seaside and see these burly um, fishermen. And I don't know if you've ever seen fishermen. When we go to St. Mark, Haiti, those are some rough people. And I don't know how they are, you know, in Galilee, but if they were anything like these fishermen, you know, they weren't the most refined of people. But Jesus, he went by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw these fishermen, and he called them. And then he sees a shrewd businessman, and he saves him. And then he sees a tax collector, and then he gathers him. And he sees a woman filled with devils, seven devils, and he gathers her. And then he sees um, Mary Magdalene, and he sees a, a lot of Marys, you know, and he sees all these Marys, and he gathers people following him and loving him. He's receiving the little children, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he's gathering sinners. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners to salvation. 
And then as he goes into Samaria, a woman who's married five times, he calls her and he goes to her and he receives her. And we see our good shepherd gathering, gathering his flock, loving his flock, providing for his flock. And then we say our good shepherd, he says the, the people would all come together because of all the miracles. He was healing people, and he went about doing good. And so naturally, everybody was drawn to him. And then they had been with him. He had been teaching and teaching, and they had been with him, and it grieved him that they, they had been there so long, and he didn't want them to faint, by the way. And so he told the disciples to gather them, sit them down orderly, and then he fed them because that's what the good shepherd does. He fed them, and then the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, he was our example. And the Bible says, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And then the God, Jesus began to prepare his disciples for his, his death. And then as he went to the cross, the Bible says that he was bruised for our transgressions, and he took our punishment. Our iniquity was upon him. And he went to the cross, and he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, of course, the sheep were hurt, but in his faithfulness, um, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And he endured the cross for the sheep. And then after the cross, we know that he was laid in a borrowed grave. And as he laid in the borrowed grave, after three days, the Spirit of God resurrected him and quickened him. And then for 40 days after that, he um, appeared to his people. He wanted witnesses of his, those who witnessed his death to also witness his resurrection. And so he appeared to them for 40 days, and then there was a couple on their way to Emmaus, and their hearts were broken because this man, this shepherd who had loved them and guided them and protected them and taught them and received them, he had died, and they thought for sure that he would restore the kingdom to Israel. And they did not understand the death, and they had not yet realized that he'd resurrected. So as Jesus approaches them, and they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're thinking about what just happened, and they're talking about the fact that Jesus has died, and what does all this mean? And Jesus joins them. And the Bible says that Jesus began speaking of himself, starting with the prophets. And when they finally got to the house where they were going, they, he acted as though he would continue. And then they, no, come and eat with us. Come and eat with us. Because their heart had been stirred. And Jesus goes in, and through breaking the bread, then they realize it's the Messiah. And Jesus shows up to the other disciples. And when the 40 days was over, he tells them to meet him on a mountain he's getting ready to go back to the Father. And on the mountain, all of these disciples gather. And as they gather on the mountain, Jesus is telling them, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they hear that. And now the angels come, the cloud comes, and Jesus goes up, and they're just standing there watching, like, what in the world? And he's going up and going up, and they're standing there watching, and they're watching him until he gets all the way. They can't see him anymore, and they're still watching, and then two angels have to come and say, what are you staring at? What are you still standing here for? He already told you it was the same Jesus you see going. He's going to come again in like manner. He already told you what to do, so go get doing it. So they go into Jerusalem, and they wait there according to the words of Jesus, and they were in the upper room, and it was 120. And in the upper room for those 10 days, they were praying, and they were in fellowship, and they were praying. And then according to the promise of the Father, God sent the Holy Spirit that day. Jesus had told them before he died, it's, it's, it's expedient for you that I go away, because if I go away, God is going to send the Comforter. And the Comforter will be with us to guide us in all truth. He will be with us to comfort us. The Comforter will be there to teach us, to cause us to remember all the things that Jesus had said. And the Comforter would be the power that we needed to do the work that Jesus left for them to do. 
So as the Holy Spirit comes down, now these people are filled with the power of God, and we still see the hand of our shepherd now through the Holy Spirit guiding his church and guiding his people and filling them and feeding them and strengthening them and sustaining them and protecting them as they do the work that Jesus Christ left for us to do. And so when we look at the Bible, we look at the Old Testament, we see the good shepherd, God the Father, guiding and comforting and protecting and keeping. We see when, as we go through the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us in the flesh, guiding and gathering and protecting and providing and loving his sheep. And then as we come to Acts and to the New Testament, we see the same thing, our God, the Holy Spirit, filling and comforting and guiding and teaching and leading into all truth. And what happens with us, dear ladies, is because we don't understand the faithfulness of our shepherd, we don't understand the love of our shepherd, we don't understand that his care and his concern for us, then a lot of times we're taken by fear. Is he going to help me out of this one? Is he going to be with me? Am I doing this alone? And because we don't understand his reputation, we don't understand his name, we don't understand his nature, and we allow the enemy to steal our faith and to steal our joy. But if we could just think and remember our good shepherd, we would be strong and bold in the things that the Lord has for us to do. Jesus Christ so many times, he told his disciples, they were right there with him, and I would have been the same way. I think about the time when Jesus was um, walking on the water, and it was at nighttime, so they see what they call a ghost. Now in Haiti, they call it a zombie. And maybe the reason why this makes me laugh so much is because the way our people are in Haiti about zombies and ghosts. So if I'm sitting in a boat and it's just all around me dark and then something's walking on the water, I don't, I, <gasps> and our people, they would be running and hiding underneath the boat. And, but Jesus said, be not afraid, it is I. It's not as though there wasn't something to be afraid of, you see? Or that time when they were in the boat and there was a great storm and Jesus was sleeping, I would have been the same way. Jesus, Jesus, do you care that we perish? Be not afraid. What, why, you, you have so little faith. Because they didn't understand the power, the reputation, the kindness, the care of the good shepherd. So when we consider our, our good shepherd, God the Father, and our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and our good shepherd, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and we understand his love, his faithfulness, his care, then we can refute every lie that Satan wants to sell us, trying to defeat our faith and steal our joy. So as we think about our good shepherd, what should be our response? So if we're saved, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. We believe in our good shepherd by faith. We believe that he came we believe he came for us to seek and to save that which was lost, because he's not willing that any should perish. And because we believe the message that we heard, that he came, he died, he was buried, he rose again. And because we believe that in our hearts, by faith, we receive our good shepherd. Are, we, are you with me? So there may be some lady here, you haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior. And sometimes when we go soul winning, a lot of people in our, in our country, the Dominicans will say, well, when God is ready to save me, he'll save me. He'll, he'll tap me. That's what they say, Topa. He'll tap me. Or when God is ready to save me, he'll come and get me. But God is ready to save everybody. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So when we hear the message of salvation, it's by faith that we receive it. 
It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, his grace, faith in him that we're saved. So at the same time, too, when we get saved and we accept Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. God says, if ye then be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more should your father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? Again, our good shepherd, he, it's, it's his work to do. He loves us. The children of Israel were stiff-necked and hard-head, but he loved them, and he provided, and he took care of them. And then when we move on through the New Testament, you know, there's doubt, there's denying, there's running, but the good shepherd loved them. So how do we respond to our good shepherd? Number one, we respond in faith. We believe the truth. I love what the young lady said about memorizing verses. We believe the truth about our good shepherd. He's not out to hurt us. He's not out to setting us up to fail. He's not out, um, he's not vindictive. There is no darkness in him at all. He is all light and he loves us. And our response to the good shepherd is always faith. Believing the truth that he has declared to us about himself, believing the love that he has for us and by faith accepting it the same way by faith we accepted Jesus Christ as our savior. How do we respond to our good shepherd? In Psalm 79, 13, the Bible says, so we thy people, and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. We respond to our good shepherd by being thankful. Because of his love, because of his goodness, we respond by being thankful. Back home, um, right now I'm going through some character qualities with my little guys. Uh, one is eight and one is ten. And right now we're on thankfulness. Now I thought I was a pretty thankful person. You know, but then when you start really studying thankfulness, you realize that one of the evidences of an ingrateful heart is murmuring and complaining. And that's painful because just yesterday I was complaining about this tropical woman being in the snow. And it was bothering me because I was cold all the way to my bones and I have my room, the temperature all the way up to 80 because it has to feel like the Dominican Republic. And so I had to say, wow, Lord, I was complaining, but I'm so glad to be here. I mean, it's such a blessing to be here. And I had to change my mind from complaining about the cold and murmuring to being thankful because that's the response that a worthy shepherd deserves from sheep, to be thankful. Um, a lot of times when we are abundantly blessed with provisions, we're abundantly blessed with riches, it's very easy to fall into complaining. You would think that for the abundance of all things, we would serve the Lord, and for the abundance of all things, we would be thankful. But God even told the children of Israel, now when I bless you abundantly, and you're eating from trees you didn't plant, you're drinking from wells you didn't dig, you're living in houses that you didn't build, and when for the abundance of all things, you're so blessed, he said, be careful that you do not turn from the Lord, and for the abundance of all things, fall into idolatry. And it's also amazing how the poor, being rich in faith, and they can barely eat from day to day, and if they do eat, it's definitely not three times, and it's definitely not snacking, can be full of gratitude. So ladies, as we consider our good shepherd and his worthiness, we must be thankful. It's not a sin that he's blessed us abundantly. It's not a sin that he has given us a nice house. It's not a sin that he's given us a nice car. I remember when we first got to Haiti, I struggled with that because the Lord had blessed us and he provided all the support that we needed. We did not go under supported and gave us some gravy on top of that too. And we, we were blessed. But as I looked at the people around us, they all were so much 
uh, economically lower than we were. And I dealt with a lot of feelings of guilt. You know, wow, I've eaten three times and they barely have anything to eat. You know, or the, the little girl across the, 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 the dirt road, we had a river running behind our house and she had to get the bucket and go to behind our house and fill the um, bucket with water and they would take that water to their house and they would bathe in that water and they would cook with that water and then they would wash with that water. And then up the river though, there was a cow in that water and a little bit further up, there were some people washing their mopads in that water. But she took her bucket and got that water for the needs of her household. And so as I saw those things and for the abundance of all that I had, I would often deal with feelings of guilt. But we don't have to feel guilty about the goodness of the Lord in our life. But we, we must be thankful. And how do we deal with that abundance? We're thankful and then we're generous. And then we're prayerful. But the response of the sheep should always be gratitude. A lot of times in America, for the abundance of all things, it's very easy for us to see everything that's wrong. You know, the police got problems because they all racist. And then this president that we got, and then these people that's, that's being paid, I don't even know. I, don't, I, I can't even tell you last time I turned on the news because it just, I got to protect my spirit and then I'll just be crazy. And so I don't even watch the news. So I can't even tell you what's going on. My husband watches the news and, and he could just deal with it because he's the protector and stuff. But we just find everything that's wrong. If in church, we find, you know, it's, it's too hot or it's too cold. In the parking lot, there's no parking lot. Or it's, don't let somebody cut us off. Oh, then we complain for real. I mean, all kind of words and explicitives are coming out of our mouth. It's very easy for the abundance of all things to see everything that's wrong. This stove, I've had it for 10 years. It's time to get another one. It's just, it's, it's just not that new kind that it just has the red little curly swirlies on the top of it. You know, it, this is the kind where, you know, it's just that, oh my goodness. You know, but where we're from, you know, it's, it's coals. It's black coals. And then you squatting down, or my aunt, my husband's aunt, we went to visit her um, when she was alive. It was my first time in Haiti. And so it was unbelievable to me. She had these three big rocks. And she had a cinder block. You know, cinder block has the two holes in it. And so she hadn't seen her son, my husband, in like 11 years. She raised him. So she wanted to honor us with a meal. So she went, and we, I, I wanted to see. So she let me into her kitchen, and it was right outside the door, and she had a cinder block that had her, all her little seasonings in it, the little block outside. And then she had three big rocks and a pot, and that's where she was going to cook. And then she just squatted around that pot, and she fixed us a meal. And it was a very simple meal, but to me, it, no seven-course meal would have been better than what she provided for us. But, but we have a tendency to look at our not-so-up-to-date stove, or we look at our not-so-up-to-date refrigerator, or we complain about so many things, and we just, we have no room for complaining. God is good to us. This lady, with her three rocks, she was thankful because she had money to fix us some food on her three rocks. And if this lady with her three rocks can be thankful, the good shepherd deserves for the abundance of all things, for gratitude to pour out of us, not the complaining. When we're tempted to complain, we do well and we obey. When we think of the opposite, Lord, what's the good? Set my mind on the good for which I could be thankful. The Lord really convicted me because I didn't realize I, I was in the rut of complaining about my children. I love my children, but I, I didn't even realize I was in that rut until I started teaching my children, my two little boys, about thankfulness. 
you know, ah, these kids make me talk all the time. I know I done sang this song a hundred times, you know. And then I'll go to the room and one of my precious treasures leaves his drawer all the way open. And I'd like to say every time, but I told my Jackie, I have to stop saying that. You do that all the time. I can't, because that's not true. But it seems like all the time. That drawer is always open, and I have to pass it every time. I'm like, good night. Can we close the door, people? You know, and then I'll walk away. Lord, what is it, Lord? Because it's just close the drawer. Take it out, close the drawer. But I started complaining about that. Or we had a system because there's eight of us. And so imagine if eight people shower, and then you, you got your towel, and you dry off with it, and then eight people put a clean towel you just washed your body, your body's clean, and you, you, drop, you drive a clean body with a clean towel, it ain't dirty. So let's hang it up. No, because now we have to get a clean towel, and then we put the clean towel in the dirty clothes because we dried off. Okay, so I'm telling you all my stuff because the Lord showed me I was unthankful because I was murmuring about, okay, so then my sissy, she's my right-hand girl. Mommy, let's, let's do this. Let's buy a different color towel for each person. And now everybody keeps their towel in their room. And then when they dry their clean body with their clean towel, they take their towel with them and hang it over the bed. Sissy, this is beautiful. We're trying to figure out a way to make this work. So we go and we buy our clean towels. And do you, maybe three days, maybe, that system did some things. But then before I knew it, the towel, again, a, a billion towels washing every day. And so you know what I fell into? complaining. Now, people, if we spend money for the towels and you have your own towel, a clean body dried off with a clean towel is a clean towel. Take it to And then I'm singing that song, singing that song, and I'm complaining underneath me. Lord, we can't keep clean towels. This is going to break the bank because I have to watch 12 towels every Complaining. So then I said, Lord, look at what I'm doing, but I love these people. I'd rather wash towels than not have my people. You see what I mean? And so I had to change my, my rotten thinking from complaining to giving thanks. And so many times, my, our precious people at our church, and, and I, I fall into that rut, but I didn't even realize I was in that rut. Then a lot of times, you know, you don't even realize you're in a rut until, you know, the Lord knocks you and rings your bell and you start studying it with somebody else, you know. And I was complaining about the people in our church. But I love those people. I, I love our people. And it wasn't that there, there was a problem with them. The problem was in my own heart. Because, you know, am I so perfect that I can look at everybody else and what's wrong with them and nobody's looking at me and complaining about me? You know, I can see clearly what's wrong with them. But, I, of course, I'm blind to my own self. But the Lord really convicted me about complaining. Whether, whatever the kids are doing or not doing. You know, whatever, my husband calls it a persecution. Are y'all persecuting your mother? Yes. This is a big persecution. <laughs> I'm trying to keep towels clean, you know. But it doesn't matter because I'd rather have my people than to have, you know, if I had to choose between a lot of clean, neatly folded towels and to have my people dirty up every towel every day all the time and just give me my people. But I had to, the Lord had to bring my heart to gratitude. You know, it's very easy for the abundance of all things. You know, we're all, we're all here together, but then we start complaining about one another. Everybody's safe and sound at home. But now we're complaining about one another. You know, we have food on our table. I have one. Ooh, he's picky. Oh, my soul. And uh, it, he's, he, he is one. He's picky. 
and I have complained about him. But as we were learning about the uh, Thanksgiving, you know, the children of Israel, of course, they were unthankful, and the Lord was providing, their good shepherd providing for them, and for the abundance of all this good food, we're, they were still complaining. But you know, the Bible says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, because that's how we shine as light in a dark and a corrupt world, to give thanks, not to murmur, not to complain. And if we're going to be sheep that's following our shepherd, our response should always be thankfulness, not just in the heart. Thankfulness is complete when there's words or actions that follow. And to be thankful, you have to recognize the benefactor. You have to recognize who it is that has done good for you. And that takes time to sit and think. There's nothing that we have and nothing that we are that we didn't receive from outside of us. But it takes time for us to stop and to think about our shepherd, our God, and how good he is to us, and then to offer that verbally in thanksgiving. It takes time to consider all the benefactors, people who are benefiting our life, and we feel it in our heart, but thankfulness is not complete if there's not words or actions to follow. So to respond to our good shepherd, we need to express gratitude. It doesn't mean that everything is right. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It doesn't mean that there's no room for improvement. But we can decide what are we going to set our heart on, everything that's wrong, or will we set our heart on gratitude and really change our mind, renew our mind to stay focused on everything that's right, everything that's good. How do we respond to our good shepherd? The Bible says in Psalm 95, 6, and 7, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We respond to our good shepherd in worship. I'm afraid that a lot of times in our circles, because of the fear of being um, compared or, um, mis or confused with other uh, religions that can be very emotional or driven or sensual, then we really rob God of the worship that he deserves. And the Bible says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker. And when you look at the word worship and when the children of Israel worship, if you go through the Psalms, you'll learn how to worship. Because David worshiped, he worshiped in tears, he worshiped on his knees, he worshiped lifting up his hands in the congregation of the saints. He worshiped with clapping, he worshiped by praying. In the congregation of the saints, he gave thanks, he declared the goodness of the Lord, he declared the works of the Lord, and all of this was worship. And our, our shepherd, to respond rightly with him, we owe him our worship. We remember. We take time to think about what has he done to benefit my life? How has he blessed me? How, what is he pouring into me? And then we offer that back out. I know with me, sometimes it's easy for me to take in, take in, take in. I love preaching, and so I can listen to it all the time or I can listen to the Bible all the time, or I'm always listening to singing all the time. And it's this, this steady intake, 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 intake. But God says to worship is the outflow. It's not what you're bringing in. It's, what, it's the outflow of your heart, the outflow of your love to the Lord. And he deserves our worship. He deserves us on our knees. It's not, just, oh, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for tomorrow. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for it all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. No, worship takes thought. Worship is on our knees, quiet before the Lord. Worship is on our knees, quiet and remembering. 
Worship is not just when we take the Lord's Supper and the pastor leads us to really thinking about the body of Christ. The pastor really leads us to think about the, no, on our knees at home, we worship and we think about the body of Christ. We think about the blood of Christ. We think about the resurrection of Christ. One day I was, I was doing my devotions and I was praying and I was giving the Lord thanks because a lot of times with me, I feel like there's a, a, big, a big obstacle keeping me from praying. And I could think of a hundred other things to do. And, oh, did I remember that? And so I, okay, let me do this first before I pray. And then, oh, wait a minute, man, I got to get, let me go ahead and do that so it's out of my mind and then I can concentrate on praying. Oh, man. And it's like a, a battle just to bring myself together to come before the Lord. But what I have found that has helped me so much is when I just start giving thanks. Thank you, Lord. And I just, Lord, thank you for our bed. Thank you that we can sleep comfortable. The mosquitoes didn't eat us alive last night because we have electricity to blow the fan, to blow the mosquitoes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we could sleep. Thank you that you give your beloved sleep. You sustain us in the night. And the more that I start praising God and thanking God, the obstacles that were hindering me in prayer are removed. And then as I'm thanking the Lord and I'm on my knees, and so I was going through this Thanksgiving, and in my Thanksgiving, I was thinking about Jesus dying on the cross, and then he's in this grave, and he's just as dead as anything in that grave. And, you know, imagine he had been beaten, and the skin off his body, and the amount of blood, even though they may have washed him, and then wrapped in, in the blood, and he's in the grave. And then as I thought about Ephesians, the same way that Jesus Christ was quickened by the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit quickened me. And there was shouting that morning when I thought, man, Lord, the same power that raised up that body from the dead has quickened my mortal body. And I was worshiping because it, it took time to think. And it take, that thankfulness brings us into that mind of worship because to be thankful, we have to be thinking. Do you understand? We have to be meditating. And then as we think, and we don't like to think, we don't like to think because the phone's going to think for me and I'm just going to put it on Facebook and I'm, it's thinking for me and I'm going to go to YouTube, it's thinking for me or I'm bejeweling or candy crushing and what else are we playing? All that stuff, it's thinking for me and we, we are lazy in our mind, but a sheep cannot be lazy. And I'm not talking about little fluffy sheep in the pasture. They can be lazy, but we sheep, we cannot be lazy because we have to think it's not someone thinking for us and feeding us. It's us thinking it through and giving God the worship that he deserves. And it takes thinking. Thankfulness takes thinking. Worship takes thinking. And it all takes time. And that's where we have the struggle because we are a people that's driven by schedule and responsibility. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. And these take time. Finally, would you tell me what time? Five more minutes. Finally, to respond rightly to our shepherd is to trust him. Jesus says so many times, O ye of little faith, why are you afraid? Fear not, it is I. And no matter what the Lord brings before us, Jesus says, fear not, for it is I. Whether we are like the maniac of Gadara, driven into the wilderness by devils, or like Jesus Christ, led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Or like the prodigal, we go there ourselves because of our sin. Jesus is the answer for all of that. And we can trust him. We can trust him. The fear is just, it's, the fear is an enemy of the faith. And God wants us to trust him. We can trust our good shepherd. And when we take the time to think about his reputation, 
what he's already shown us from Genesis to Revelations about who he is. And when we think on that and we meditate on that, then we find the faith that we need. Okay, just like Peter, your eyes are too low. Look up. It is I. Be now.